This is Wahasu, the World Happiness Summit. Feel the science. Good morning or afternoon, everyone. Good evening, wherever you're joining us from all over the world. We're so happy you're here. I'm Karen Guggenheim, uh, founder of Wahasu, co-founder of World Happiness Summit. And we are so grateful that you're taking the time out today to join us from all over the world. We see in the chat every, every place you're joining to celebrate happy. We wanted to take this opportunity to mark the importance of happiness and well-being in our lives, whether you are a member of uh, the Wahasu community or HSA or the University of Miami or Kripalu, Maria's community, whoever and wherever you're coming from, or if you're new to the science of happiness and are just exploring what we're talking about, we welcome you uh, because we believe that it's so important to mark this special day and this science that we are so, um, so, uh, involved when and the, involved with and that we see the importance particularly now in this very trying time that we have lived we wanted to bring a little bit of the spirit of the summit here these amazing experts Tal Ben Shahar Maria Surad Isaac Prilitensky have been members of the Wahasu community advocates of of what we're doing uh, with community building uh, teaching learning the practical science the practical aspects of a science of happiness and bringing it to a global community. And, and like uh, the UN secretary said so many years ago, happiness is very serious business. So we're so happy you're here today. Let me share with you what we envision. We envision a, a really what we said, a fireside dialogue. So fireside chat dialogue, a dynamic dialogue. So please um, post the, your questions. We want to answer them. We're going to have conversations back and forth. We want to talk about uh, the, the latest uh, research, what we've seen that is happening in the world. And I'd like to start with uh, Tal Ben-Shahar, one of the leading happiness experts in the world, um, an amazing uh, person, just, uh, you know, as all, of, as, as, as all of the panelists here today, what I love is that these people are incredible, um, wise experts, but really as people, they're so authentic and so generous and so kind with their time, their energy, um, just so mission driven. And it's my absolute pleasure to be able to bring you these eminence in, 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 in not only in happiness and well-being and matter and resilience, but really in the next level of, of human uh, thinking and development. So Tal, can you tell us a little bit about what is happiness? What do we mean by happiness? And why does it matter during challenging times? We hear across the world that, you know, are, are you going to talk about, why are you talking about happiness? We have bigger problems. What do you see? What's going on? Uh, uh, thank you, Karen. First of all, thank you for uh, putting this together. Uh, it's so important uh, now, probably more than ever. So thank you, thank you to Wahasu, and it's great to be here with uh, dear friends, with you, Isaac and Maria. Um, you know, a friend of mine recently said to me, Tal, shouldn't we quarantine the science of happiness, uh, at least for a while? And, um, and, and my answer to that was, uh, was no, I don't think so. I think now is the time, if, if there was a time, to, to bring it out. 
why is that? Because, you know, when we talk about happiness, we're not just talking about, uh, you know, fun or, or pleasurable emotions. Yes, surely that is part of happiness, but it's only a part of happiness. When we talk about happiness, we're also talking about uh, a sense of meaning and purpose of being present. We're talking about physical well-being. We're talking about learning and curiosity. We're talking, of course, about relationships. And we're talking about emotions. And even when we talk about emotions, we're not just talking about joy and fun and, and, and love and, and satisfaction. We're also talking about learning to better deal with painful emotions. You know, right now, anxiety levels are, as far as we know, at an all-time high. Depression levels are extremely high and, and continuing to rise. So what is the relevance of the science of happiness? You know, what really helped me answer this question was uh, a term that was coined by Nassim Taleb. Nassim Taleb is a professor at uh, New York University, and he talks about anti-fragility. Specifically, anti-fragility, the opposite of fragility, is about taking resilience to the next level. So, you know, we talk about resilience, and resilience is um, about um, returning to its original form. You put pressure on a system, it goes back to its original form, if it's resilient. You know, when we talk about resilience in the original sense, that is, it's actually a term taken from engineering. We talk about resilience, you know, you, you drop a ball, it bounces back up to where it was before. It recovers. Anti-fragility takes it a step further. And the ball doesn't just bounce back up, it bounces back higher. The system doesn't just go back to where it was before, it goes to a place where it's bigger, better, healthier. And the science of happiness can help us become more anti-fragile. You see, we have anti-fragile systems all around us. We have it in our, you know, in our bodies. You go to the gym, you lift weights, you're putting stress on your muscles. It's an anti-fragile system. It grows stronger as a result of the stress. We have it not just physiologically, we have it psychologically. The term post-traumatic growth, PTG, not as common, um, not as well understood as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, but no less important. What are the conditions that we can put in place to increase the likelihood that we are resilient, that we are anti-fragile, that we do experience post-traumatic growth? What are these conditions? And this is the question that the science of happiness uh, asks today. And hopefully we'll get some of these answers in the next 90 minutes or so. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Tal. Um, and this ties in directly with, uh, with my, uh, my thoughts and questions to you, Maria. Maria is one of the foremost resilient experts. Um, and again, what is really amazing about Maria is just the, the knowledge, the wisdom, the kindness, the space that she holds for people who are experiencing challenges. And Maria, listening to you is almost like providing a, 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 a pomade or a cream in soothing these difficult situations. And I love the way that you are able to frame and help us guide because life happens, right? It just happened that in 2020, it happened to all of us. And so I, I, I'd love your perspective on what exactly is resilience because we hear it all the time. We hear it at the workplace, at schools, we need to elevate resilience, resilience. What is resilience? And how, 
how can we work on this particularly when we're feeling when we're feeling so anxious or so afraid how do we make that first step because really what we're here about is here is how to learn a practical way what is the process of happiness what is the process of well-being thank you karen hello um, dear friends in the world and to Isaac and Tal, such a privilege to be with you. So I wanna take this notion of anti-fragility that Tal so beautifully articulated for us and take us into the next phase, which is the return to normal phase um, that we are heading toward. You know, one of the definitions, ancient Latin definitions of resilience had to do with jumping and leaping. And it really, aligns beautifully with Tal's understanding of resilience. It is about the capacity to adapt to stress, trauma, and loss. It's also about growth through adversity, sort of taking ourselves to that next level. And in this return to normal phase that we've entered, you know, we're going to have conflicting emotions and uncertainty about safety, a lack of control about certain things like timelines for vaccinations. And also with all of that is a, this undertone of worry about, is this going to stick? Like if I get vaccinated and I get, I get to return to the office, does that stick or am I going to be sent back home again in October? So all of that is the territory that we're heading into now. And in terms of your one practical piece of guidance, I'm actually gonna refer back to Tal's work that I learned from him more than 10 years ago, which has to do with living into the genius of the and. Mm. Really freeing ourselves from rigid black and white thinking or black and white either or behaving. And so for example, what we know about the most resilient of us is that we recognize the fractures in the world, for example, and we still focus on the beneficial. So we might recognize the incredible violence and injustices around race and identity around the world and recognize at the same time that conversations are being held at levels that have never been held before in organizations, systems, communities, and in individual homes to a much greater extent. We can respect, we have to respect the difficult emotions that we're experiencing. I lose sleep over the fact that I've got three young adults in the college high school age who are who have their own definitions about safe behavior when they're away at school. And I can remember my strengths. I can remember that I'm the kind of mom who is super clear and communicative about what I think best practices look like and feel like. I can leverage my capacity to communicate, right? And we can acknowledge you know, our personal stressors, our griefs, our losses. There was a beautiful article just recently in the New York Times about all the small losses we've experienced. And, and of course, our larger losses. And also celebrate, celebrate the gains and the progress. As we live into the and, this beautiful and, what starts to happen is this grounded sense of optimism an increasing sense of inner control, even when things still outside our domain are not under our control, and the capacity to create next better moments, which create next better days. You know, ultimately, I think the longing we all have, Karen, whether spoken or unspoken, is that this is a terrible year. This was a horrific year. We do not want anyone to experience this again. And yet, I do believe there is a longing that at the end, we know this to have been a year worth having lived. Mm. And by integrating these practices of mattering, of happiness and resilience, we give ourselves a chance to be able to look back 
four or five years from now and say that was horrible. And in some ways, this was a year worth living. Wow, that's so beautiful, Maria. Thank you for, for framing that. That was amazing. Um, I, I do, I, the end does resonate so much because uh, you also talk about the pond and the swamp. So we have to make sure that we look at, those, at both, right? Because I really, you know, investing in happiness, investing in well-being and looking at that and having a whole picture that is reality, you know, um, another of the Wahasu speakers, Fred Luskin, he says, you, you can be better, you can be worse, but you're okay. And so we have to kind of keep that in mind. Um, with that said, one of the most impactful things for me has been learning from uh, Dr. Ilesek Bulitensky, who's a former dean of the School of Education and Human Development at the UM and uh, vice provost of uh, institutional culture. He's been with us since the beginning and something, Isaac's work is just amazing to me on mattering and the importance. It was a groundbreaking thought for, for me, the, 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 the knowledge of the value of feeling valued and adding value to relationships, to workplaces. And this year in the United States, we've also had have challenges this past year on, on fairness and on um, and mattering has been a big, big component and impact of, of well-being. So Isaac, can you share with us, you know, what do we mean by, by fairness? It's, it's a broad concept. What do we mean fairness in the workplace and education in our communities and how can we elevate that and how does that interplay with well-being? Thank you, Karen. It's really great to be with all of you today to see my friends on the screen and many others uh, through the chat. In well, it turns out that fairness has a big impact on mattering. And mattering has a big impact on wellness. So these three concepts are really interconnected. And fairness really comes in two types. You know, it's about the, the basic outcomes that we need in life. I need access to love, food, shelter. So we say in a fair society, people have access to these basic resources. We call this distributive justice. But there is an, an, a second kind, which is really important as well. And we call it procedural fairness, which is about having voice and choice, participating in decisions affecting our lives. So there are other kinds, but for now, let's just focus on these two, right? Outcomes and processes. Um, I want to be able to participate in processes affecting my life. I want to have control over what happens in my family, at home, at work. And our studies demonstrate that the more fairness you experience, the more you are treated with respect and dignity in your family, in relationships, organizations at work, and in the community, the more fairness, the more you feel like you matter because you feel valued. When you're treated with respect, you feel valued. That's a big part of mattering. And also, you feel you have an opportunity to add value, to make a contribution. Fairness is about making sure all of us have an opportunity to add value, first to ourselves, but also to others in the community. So 
Mattering depends on feeling valued and adding value by self and others. And during the pandemic, a lot of us have suffered because we haven't had as many opportunities mm. to feel valued, you know, to go to work or to, to meet with friends where there is warmth and acceptance and love shared in a physical way. So we have suffered from lack of feeling valued, appreciated love, and fewer opportunities to add value because we're not communing as much. I'm not spending as much time with my neighbors, friends. I don't go to civic events as much. So the question is, what can we do when the world is shrinking? And I think we have to find one square between feeling value and adding value and self and others. This is kind of like a two by two little table. Mm-hmm. And we have to think, can I add value to others today? What can I do? Can I call my mom? You know, can I call a friend who may be lonely? Or what can I do to help myself? What can I learn today that I haven't learned before? Um, so find a square in this two by two table and ask yourself, what's the minimal difference I can make today? Can I make somebody feel value? And our study showed that the more mattering we experience, the higher the levels of well-being interpersonal, community, occupational, physical, psychological, and economic well-being. We know there are different models of well-being. This is the one we use. It's called the ICO. And our studies show the more you feel like you matter, the higher the levels of well-being in all these domains. Wow, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Isaac. Uh, Tal, this this idea of um, what Isaac just talked about and all the elements and all the benefits to investing in well-being and becoming happier, right? We've had conversations uh, before on how it's it's so obvious that it's so worthwhile to invest in this. Just forget about it's the right thing to do because you feel better and, and relationships improve, but it's also tangible business results that are improved and, and, and even in communities and cities and governments can be improved by decreasing mental health issues. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, you know, I think that um, whether you are uh, uh, in an organization, whether you are, uh, you know, in a business uh, or in a school, uh, or you think about your, uh, your, your family, um, happiness is a good investment. Why? Because, um, first of all, as you point out, it's, it's, it's good in and of itself. It feels good to feel good. You know, it's part of our nature to aspire to it. And if you increase levels of well-being, even by a little bit, uh, sure, your relationships improve. You actually live longer. So mind, body are connected. Um, you become more productive, more creative, more engaged, more motivated. Now, these are the very things that are essential in today's workplace. These are the very things that are essential in, uh, in today's schools. Why? Because we've become, uh, um, you know, we're living in an age of distraction, in the words of uh, Daniel Goleman. Increase happiness, you have more engagement. 
um, we're lived we so many kids are drifting today. This is the work of William Damon from Stanford. And when they, when they find more happiness, they're more likely to connect to a sense of meaning and purpose. And then conversely, when they find a sense of meaning and purpose, they're likely to be happier. So investing in happiness um, means better grades, better performance at work, better relationships, better health. Every dimension you look at, there are benefits. Um, and therefore, you know, to me, and, and, and I think whomever looks at the, at the data, investing in, in happiness is a no-brainer, especially today when so many of these uh, variables, um, um, there's so much struggle around so many of these variables. Great. Fantastic. Uh, thank you for pointing out all those benefits. Um, uh, Maria, Tal talks about... <laughs> These, these, these challenging times and then all the benefits on happiness, right? And investing in this and, and certainly I've had the opportunity to grow from, from trauma. Um, and as, as you've done so much of this research and have this opportunity as well, what can we, um, in addition to the and that you explained so eloquently, what are the other tools or benefits that can really elevate uh, resilience in mind, keeping in mind of what, you know, Isaac mentioned about mattering and how it's important to relationship and following up with what uh, uh, Tal was mentioning. This idea of, uh, of, of flexing the muscle, right? Is this something that's a one-off like we've done, like I had this, or how do we put it in play daily? How, what, what are the tools that we can do daily that can flex this muscle, particularly for those of us who, who are not used to this kind of reframing? And even for the ones of us who are, sometimes the challenges are so great that we forget. You know, Karen, I, I wish it were a one-off thing. I wish I could just <laughs> go to a, a happiness spa for a day, like with my mask on, and you know, come home and that would be it. Um, I want to talk for a minute about elevating resilience and well-being and happiness through small steps, but I do want to pause because I so dearly want everyone to be able to hear Tal. Tal, I don't know if you're hearing, your sound is really sketchy, and so I don't know if there is a way to work with that. I don't know if you're hearing that, Karen, but it's been showing up in the chat. It's very uh, crackly, yeah. so maybe if there's an option that you can work with. So this capacity, by the way, to name reality as it is and face reality first is crucial for well-being, right? We have to, none of this happiness, positivity, mattering rests on denial. It rests on first facing reality as it is. What, you know, above and beyond the perspective of the and and building in the end, we want to move toward small prioritizing positivity prioritizing meaning like Isaac was pointing toward, how could I add value in any one day or with any one person, prioritizing the things that actually inspire us. I, I'm famous for you know, Googling inspirational YouTube videos to see what's out there that can elevate me and keep me energized, a sense of hopefulness, prioritizing recovery, we know that moments of happiness, moments of mattering, not only build in the benefits that Tal spoke to, they build in respite. Mm. 
They build in respite from the worry and the drain. And that, you know, having a daily experience, even if it's 10 minutes a day of respite, can often be enough to feel like I can do this. I, I can do this day. And that gets us to the next day, right? So I think about things that inspire us, that in, up level meaning and mattering, that build in positivity. And lastly, you know, one category that's really important to pay attention to is what is it that actually creates that sense of inner strength, that inner strength. Watching, you know, beautiful YouTube videos that inspire me is absolutely delicious. And I absolutely need to feel like I have that inner capacity to persevere over time. So for me, inner strength is my number one go-to move is exercise. I feel stronger. I, I approach the day from a stronger place. Um, so I, it's that small daily steps, prioritizing positivity, meaning, strength, and inspiration is sort of the formula that seems to be working globally. Thank you so much, Maria. I love what you're saying. There are many things that came up uh, when you were speaking. And what I love also is that it's, it's all science-based. Like there's biological things that are happening to your body when you go outside, when you exercise, when you you know, put your favorite song and start dancing, right? And these are moments in a day that we can schedule. And so one of the things that I would encourage those of you out there, because, you know, we get this question asked all the time, what can I do? Well, if it's not intuitive for you or habitual yet, schedule it, schedule five minutes, you know, five minutes in the, in the, in, during the, in the midday or in the evening, um, and move and, and be outside. And what I love about that is that also it takes you out of the cognitive. My God, we're in our heads so much. And particularly when we're so anxious and we're afraid and all this information, which, which vaccine do I take? Do I not take the vaccine? Can I, which mask, you know, when is it going to end? All these, these different things that are going on inside of our heads that sometimes, you know, we even have difficulty sleeping because it keeps going and the brain keeps going and going. And um, personally, I found that if I schedule things, and even if I schedule like anxiety time, even like, okay, mm -hmm. at 12, I'm going to have 15 to 20 minutes where I'm going to just freak out a little bit. But then it's, it's about kind of control. It doesn't have to be my entire day. I can look at other things and I can savor. I love the idea of savoring. You're talking about the videos. Um, people are taking photography and mm -hmm. taking beautiful pictures and doing that. And just to remember that there's beauty out there because we, we kind of forget. And again, we're dealing with biology. So we have a brain that's looking out for the negative, but if we're purposeful about it, they're incredible, incredible results. And, and Isaac, when we're talking about noticing, right. It, that to me also ties into to mattering. When you first spoke just now, you were talking about all these benefits in investing in these relationships, whether they're at home in the workplace and such. And the research also shows that by engaging in altruistic uh, behavior, it's, it's, it's kind of self-serving. So it's, it's, it's such a benefit and such a ripple in the same way that, you know, negativity has a rippling effect that we, if we take it to a level of like war, we can do the opposite and have a rippling effect of positivity. And again, you know, um, not putting on rose-colored glasses, looking at reality, but we can also treat people with kindness, even when we're telling them things that are challenging or when we're saying no, right? 
how can we start creating this language of well-being and this vocabulary of well-being and keeping in mind that that doesn't mean you do whatever anybody says or accept unacceptable behavior, but we are elevating each other for a common goal of everyone in the whole system being well. Yes, happy to address it, but I think Maria wanted to say something. So I want to give a chance to Maria. She was she was about to comment on something you said, so. Okay. You are so kind. I just wanted to give an example of, you know, what it's like to be a real human being. When um, COVID-19 hit, 85% of my business disappeared because it involved global travel. I spent the next eight months, you know, doing everything I could to build up the scaffolding of work again while stewarding the five young adults who, between me and my partner, kept coming home and wanting to be fed and so on. And I, I kind of burned out by the end of the year. And I took my own wisdom and the wisdom of our science to cultivate a habit of starting the day with one honest thing. Every morning I write down just one true thing. It just takes, it's two sentences, mm -hmm. but it's a way of honoring myself, centering myself, starting the day from a place of inner control. So Isaac, I wanted to thank, thank you for noticing and honoring. And um, it's just a, a real life example of what it means to prioritize this small daily change. Awesome. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Tal. Thank you, Isaac. Thank you, everyone who joined us today. You're listening to the World Happiness Summit podcast. For more information, check out our website at worldhappinesssummit.com or send us an email at contact at Thank you for listening.